you're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics, and then you guys tell us if you're right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Listen to the Unsung Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by two men who, mere moments ago, were talking about how to best unpeel a banana. Right, first of all, that's true, but the reason Mark sounds so down in the mic is because <laughs> this is our second run of this after severe technical issues in the first one. And we were actually talking about bananas about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, the big man's taking it quite hard because yeah. it turns out he was somehow at fault. Um, <laughs> something to do with electromagnetic radiation. It just emanates from me, yeah. as it does all. Yeah, from your dark heart. But indeed, there was a debate about bananas, and I drew the comparison in the original take, which is much funnier than this one, um, and more spontaneous, about uh, Gulliver's Travels and about the whole kind of what end do you open a boiled egg at? And that's Gulliver's Travels, right? It doesn't ring a bell for me. I can't remember. I had it. They go to war about the end of the boiled egg that they open. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't read Gulliver's Travels since I was like five, so I just you remember. read Gulliver's Travels when you were five, the book. No, is that not the one where there's like the the little people and they Lilliput? Hi, yeah. You, you read that when you were five. Well, maybe it got read to me. That is mental. But you know, that's like a really dark satirical book, yeah. and there's a bit in it where the little girl Glindleclitch, who's like fucking a thousand feet high or something like that, she puts him on her erect nipple, and he kind of rolls round and falls off. But she's like a kid. That explains a lot. Yeah, it's a pretty intense book. It's yeah. also, that's where Yahoo got its name, because oh. the Yahoos are an all-knowing race with horses' heads. Yahoo are no longer all-knowing. Ideal. Mm. Did Yahoo not used to have a horse head thing in the logo? Oh, I don't know. I think it did. Anyway, yeah, so we were debating bananas. David came up with this theory that you can more easily open a banana from the bottom by just slipping your finger in. I don't even know how that works. I can't quite picture There's it. There's a little I like the cleft. Hand- <laughs> <laughs> I like the handle at the top. Yeah, it's a handle, but it's not an opener. It's not a... David's a backdoor man. Yeah, <laughs> truly. Going from the bottom. Um, <laughs> now I'm here. <laughs> so uh, the fella across the room from me, without the torn face, is uh, David, whose mic seems to be working fine. I, I think you'll find guys since the last podcast that i am none other than scotland's authority on heavy metal oh this is true yes this is true so that's why you were writing to us asking for names <laughs> yeah as quoted by bbc scotland how did so, that go I, I talked for about a minute and a half about satan uh, <laughs> at five to seven in the morning the meat, the meat replacement uh yeah because <laughs> as a vegan i'm not vegan at that and then uh they asked me about Scottish metal bands And then they were like Oh we're running late Let's go to the news So I went back to bed Did you get a chance To drop any names in? I didn't get a chance To drop any names So um, Maybe said Asking some, us And us doing that research Yeah no, it was pointless 
I got up at 10 to 7 on holiday in Tenerife to f- be phoned by the breakfast show on Radio Scotland, spoke for 90 seconds about darkness, and then they well, said, oh, we've run out of time. Was Bye. it about Lords of, Dur- of Chaos? No, no, it was about, uh, it's 50 years since heavy metal began, apparently, and they're having a heavy metal convention this summer. Yeah, no, they had they had one, oh. uh, they had one in London at the weekend. Oh, well, that was it then, yeah, uh-huh. they're talking about, so... So, uh, so the, I don't know. the commencement date for heavy metal. I don't know how they worked it out. I think it's maybe since like yeah, Sabbath Fall. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. they didn't release an album until a year after, but it yes. must be. Yeah. Um so well so that me trying desperately to remember the name Scordatura was yeah. completely pointless. And I had wheelchair, 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 wheelchair lined up. It's really not metal. Uh, excuse me, have you heard uh, Tales of Bonnie Scotland? You, you just try to shock. No, Tales of Bonnie Scotland are- is a grindcore album about shagging spoken in a mid- yeah, <laughs> middle ages vernacular. Metal. I was talking about the different extremities of metal. Here's me like trying to come up with actual metal bands for you. Like, come on, you can do yeah, better than that. Mendeed. You didn't mention Mendeed. You didn't Mendeed. mention, you didn't mention Party Cannon. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't get to mention any. Anyway, or Cerebral That's War. enough. Uh, sitting across from me. Well, we're giving them a mention here because Radio Scotland is oh, yeah, yet true. again negligent in its duties. I know. So Scottish heavy metal, you're out there. You didn't mention Revulsion either. Which, I know. Mm. Or Frontera. Sectioned. Sectioned. Sorry, everybody. I let you all down. No, you didn't. BBC did. I Again. Know. They had to go really the news. The BBC is really having a, a, talk a about bad run of form right now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. They're taking all their podcasts off Google as well, which is just fucking ridiculous. So it's odd. absolutely I think ridiculous. It's probably become one of the most common uh, kind of bubble-esque things to appear on my Facebook wall is people being fucking raging at the BBC <laughs> for the way they're either <laughs> representing uh, political balance or reporting headlines they, they completely completely misrepresented the reports about Robert Mueller yesterday yeah saying it cleared Trump when it quite Did not. simply does nothing of the sort it just it's it's as the Americans would say Mueller's just punted I have to admit that that's pretty much been the theme of my week getting punted getting <laughs> punted <laughs> well maybe getting punted in the metaphorical spiritual balls I just like weird and I think relevant reckoning with the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, with reality in general. <laughs> I mean, that's, like, that's a big foe to take on, Christopher. I know you like a battle. Oh, come on, we've got, a fucking, we've got a punk rock album to talk about. I need to pad it somehow. Um, but it was this strange thing, like when Miller, when that, that started to, to come out this weekend and it, it looks, you know, there's going to be stuff in it that, it, by any other standards would be shockingly bad of course but this is Trump so anything short of a home run is disappointing um, and then obviously with Brexit getting postponed with people being like ah oh, it's just never going to happen and stuff it, it, it really reminded me Dave you probably know this guy Francis Fukuyama mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the end of history. The end of history. I found myself having this conversation with a few people this week. There's a lot of things about our experiences as people now that poorly equip us to deal with shocking events. So like we're so raised on narrative arcs. And we're one of the first generations to be raised by storylines that nicely round themselves and mm. the ability to choose and prioritise storylines that end well, you know, American markets, you know, the film has to be reconciled mm-hmm. in, in, in the end. And we've become almost expectant that storylines, even when they veer off the rails, even when they go a bit Empire Strikes Back and about downbeat and the hero loses his hand and the bad guys win for a while, we're yeah. like, it'll come back though, guys, it'll come back. And we we piss and moan and we sign petitions and we do all these things. But secretly in the back of our minds, we're like, it'll be okay though. You know, bad stuff doesn't happen. And that, that whole idea of Francis Fukuyama saying that, it's a very simplified version of his, but we've got so much history to draw on and so much freedom and access to information and such free exchange of information that we should never again repeat these huge fuck ups disasters of of the past. You know, there should never be a time when there's a nuclear war. There should never be a time when these things get so out of hand because we have all this reference material to, to learn from and we've reached this kind of, what is it Jason said last week, an inflection point. Mm-hmm. whereby we have so much at our disposal that we shouldn't we will never again get drawn into these cataclysmic cycles like second world war and things like that and i think that's so i mean even francis fukuyama has completely disowned that 9-11 was the well what he underestimated the ability of the human species to fuck things up absolutely and also i think he's had such a short term perspective on it uh, yeah, a lot of people thought the end of the Cold War was the end of ideology. That's when he was writing, wasn't it? That, yeah. that book, and it was it's it's remarkable how quickly that that notion has become not just obsolete but laughable. Yeah. And I think this week watching Brexit and trying to say to people, look, I know you think it's just not going to happen, but what if it just does? Well, you know, it's trying to have that, and they're like, what do you mean? You're like. What if it just does? They're like, what if we, you mean if we vote for this or vote? And like, no, what if it just happens? Like, what if we don't vote for anything? What if we don't solve or work anything out? And by default, it just happens. And then it's sort of similar for Trump. It's like, well, so he's not going to go to jail. You know, he's uh-huh. very probably going to live a, a disturbingly long and affluent life. And at, at this rate, he's now probably, I mean, I haven't checked the odds, but I'd imagine the odds in his re-election in 2020 have probably halved, you know, because this makes them look invincible. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to t- talk to people and really get them to think about the possibility that they live in the midst of history and that, you know, you know these terrible things that you assume will work out might well not work out. And I think probably the, the most significant application of that logic is climate change. I think people just don't assume that's going to actually happen. Yeah. They, they think it's like a drama that we're all part of, like a role play, an abstract narrative that we're all, you know. But also if people f- as individuals feel helpless because, yeah, you know, how are you supposed to action it? You know, how are you supposed to help climate change by cutting out plastic straws when, you know, America and China are still spewing out huge amounts of, uh, you know, commercial CO2 so like there's you feel helpless so you're like well just gonna have to try and end my own narrative with a happy ending and I can't do anything else about the end. Do you think that helplessness though kind of reinforces that sense of like watching a film 
you know, you're helpless. You're just a, you're, you're, you're watching it happen. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's a completely passive action and yeah. you're just watching it and you're suffering through the bad bits, waiting for the good guys to win out. And I think there's a really strange abstraction of, of life from consequential events now and to my left is I'm, David I'm sitting, I'm sitting across from uh, Mr Chris Cusack the cheeriest man in Glasgow I know I mean that's Mr. just Mr Optimist oh, let's talk about a punk rock album <laughs> <laughs> to my left is David again he's wearing a, a pink jumper it's a different pink jumper this time uh-huh. um, a lighter hue and this is definitely pink yeah, and you've gone pink and grey, which I think is actually quite a fetching combo. Thanks. Um, but yeah, so that's just been the theme of my week. I don't know why, it just was a recurring thing that people just don't seem to necessarily appreciate that we live in the midst of history. Mm-hmm. Um, and f- Francis, fuck you, Yama. Yeah, ironically, it's not the end of history, but it might be the end of the world. <laughs> it might be the end of history in completely not the manner he intended. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Mark. <laughs> yes. Well, you've been... I'm still here. ...sitting doing your homework. <laughs> uh, what album are we doing this week? We're doing Career Suicide by a Wilhelm Scream. Screen. Yeah, David. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, we know what we're talking about. <laughs> Was that a goat? <laughs> that's one of the best moments I've had of editing this podcast by the way it was the, the, sitting in a cafe laughing as I tried to get the compression right on you guys doing goat screams <laughs> I think we nailed it yeah I think we did nail it it's one of my favourite parts of the podcast period I ended up watching goat videos afterwards to, to, try, and, to try and work out how close you got how close did it get? Mm. No, not that close I have to ask a goat <laughs> what would they say? They did deliciously. <laughs> that was your opportunity to go to screen there, Chris. Nah, I've already, <laughs> I've already done my bit. It's fine. Yeah, so uh, a Wilhelm scream. Yes, their 2007 record, Career Suicide. Yeah, uh, probably worth pointing out that a Wilhelm scream also traded under the name of. Smackin' Isaiah Smackin' Isaiah 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 Yeah um, For how many albums? Two albums? Two albums Yeah um, First two records This is really weird Like if you look at Spotify You won't be You won't see those records um, If you If you look on Their discography On Wikipedia It says their first album Is mute print So those two records They kind of Don't really count As being Wilhelm Scream records The way to a girl's heart Is through her boyfriend's stomach, stomach. Yeah mm. Proper skate punk album, nothing like they sound now. Yeah, we listened to it earlier on. I hate it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, not, it's not very good. It's not very good at all. And then the second record was the benefits of thinking out loud, which they did re-release under their own name. And they still play a couple of songs from that live class of class of ninety seven. I've actually seen them play it live a couple of times. When I was looking up the the kind of fan rankings of their albums, that one actually got number three. Yeah, a lot of people rate that quite highly, but I, I really don't like it. I think it, it doesn't really hang together well enough for me as a record. I didn't listen yeah. to it, but I'm willing to bet I probably don't like it. 
just well, no, I'm not just being a wido. I mean, because it's that skate punk early part of theirs. Well, and I've they're definitely transitioning into this kind of more techie thing in it, and I think that's what doesn't really hang together for me because it, it feels quite loose and it's like they're not quite there yet as players. If that makes sense, I just I, I, as a promoter of and as a musician, you've just spent so many decades being stuck on bills or having to assemble bills or having to be there for bills of identical sounding skate punk bands. Skate punk bands. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, as a reason. I mean, my flatmate Craig is probably listening to this right now. I like skate punk a lot, man. Right, um, but I don't listen to it very much anymore. Neither does he. But I think he used to be in a skate. He used to be in a skate punk band called First Step to Failure, who I thought were really good. But there's a reason why there's not a lot of skate punk bands left anymore because it's been fucking done. Do you know what I mean, as a dungeon, it's a very narrow. Yeah, the parameters are narrow for what you can do because anything that goes beyond those parameters becomes. Not skate punk. <laughs> Allow me to be controversial as well, if you will. And I think one of the reasons that so many people gravitate towards skate punk is because the instructions to assemble your IKEA skate punk band are very clear. That if you can play and do certain things, you can tick all the boxes and have a functioning band. There's not necessarily a lot of invention or out the box thinking involved in skate punk. I think a lot of people that do it go on to do more interesting things, yeah, you know, like almost so always, many, yeah. Yeah. But in terms of a skate punk band, there's a template mm-hmm. and it's something that as a young musician you can follow pretty simply and be a skate punk band and get gigs and play with your yeah. play to and with your friends in a band. You know, I think it's something that you can just do if you want to do that for for the, for being in a band's sake as opposed to for artistic adventure mm. sake and but as I say so many of these people go on to do many more interesting things but the skate punk bands leave me really cold like one of my favourite bands is uh, No Use For A Name and they started off as a skate punk band and all those times you thought that you were wrong you were right the devil on your shoulder as Tony Sly grew as a songwriter, he became much more of a, a pop rock kind of pop punky songwriter. And he just started to mess around with different ideas and how he built songs, which were definitely not skate punk. They slowed down. He started doing different things. It's not things, the one that had you know? like, in it, is it? Yeah. He was oh, in, he, fuck a Dave Grohl Nexus already. <laughs> <laughs> he was originally in it, yeah. Um, it was actually it was actually Tony Sly that told him to audition for the Foo Fighters, which is quite cool. But they moved away from that. And I think a lot of the best skate punk bands stopped being skate punk bands. Like Propaganda are just a really insanely fucking talented kind of techie punk band now they don't sound anything like they used yeah. to their like, best songs fuck the border anyway so <laughs> <laughs> it's like a lot propaganda of when they do their fucking like boring skate punky stuff is just like whatever yeah but when they actually get mean and nasty and edgy uh they're, they're pretty interesting they've got like four albums worth of that now do you know what i mean because it's just stopped being a skate punk band which is i think cool bad religion kind of a skate punk band in places nah, they're they're like much more melodic though but they, they did become they, i think they, I think they talked quite a lot with that in the 90s there was I think they talked quite a lot with it in the 90s um, but yeah, they were but always I, more poppy always more melodic but yeah they're, they're a like melodically really interesting group I think that's why Bad Religion always stood out mm. there was so many not just 
like not your standard sort of three chord obvious patterns like Bad Religion had some really innovative songwriting yeah. within the basic structures of yeah skate punk you know SoCal kind of stuff But uh, yeah, what they were doing with the melodies and mm. especially the vocals were way, way, way like streets ahead. Of we take that for granted now as well because we hear it so much. We hear bands emulating that style and so much that we take it for granted about the fact that it was really innovative when they did it. Even solo, like, even in many of the bands though, that, that imitate it, very, very few are actually yeah. like managed to pull it off the way Bad Religion did, and it is, which is daft because the, the template's right there, but they still go for far safer melodies and progressions than Bad Religion did at their height. And the reverse of that is like one of the, well, I guess one of the biggest and most well-known skate punk bands on NoFX. I don't have a lot of time for no effects. I don't really, I don't really like them as a band. I never really have. They're pish. They were definitely a skate punk band when they started. They were in the nineties, um, but then they were also quite foundationally pop punk as we know it. They've now just progressed away from that again. Do you know what I mean they're they're no longer a skate punk band? Are they still all. a band? Yeah, they're still a band. They're like Fuck Fat it. Mike's about to release his first solo record this year called Cookie the Clown. They're about uh. a cooked up clown. He's, he's I, I really know. liked uh, Pump Up the Volume, but I mean I was thirteen. It had some, I don't know, there was some fun bits on it, but like... Tell me the name of a famous NoFX song. Uh, Dinosaurs Will Die. My Vagina. <laughs> One, I mean, I seem to remember hearing NoFX at the Catty, but I can't remember what songs were. Dinosaurs Will Die, Bob, seen Double uh, Triple Rock. to the Ground. Um, Moron Brothers, Linoleum. Linoleum is probably the one you've heard. That's like the most one of the most that famous songs. Sort of sticks out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Fucking. Well, yeah. I mean, amongst those guys, I, as don't well. call me white. Don't call me white. Don't, don't call me white. white. Fucking <laughs> 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 hell. A little bit of nostalgia there. We clicked. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Goat core. Um, the other bands I'd seen mentioned alongside these guys were strung out. Uh, Strike anywhere. Bits of hot water music, I guess. Strung uh, Out are also a really interesting example of a skate punk band that just went way more technical. Like their their records got heavier and faster and much more complex as, as they grew as musicians. Strike Anywhere I would never call them a skate punk band probably just like a don't know like a pop punk band with a lot more attitude really really political obviously quite anti-fascist really really sort of left wing leaning band I really like that band <laughs> you know I, I don't even mean it but I just want to say it to piss off a couple of our listeners Anna in, in particular and just mention Pennywise because anytime we talk about punk rock my only reference point is Pennywise if I don't want to take it right away never had the 
escape punk band on. <laughs> I know, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's literally, it's that thing when you wander into a conversation at a party and someone's talking about something you don't know, but you've got one foot in the yeah. door. Like, I know this band. Pennywise. <laughs> bro, Pennywise. <laughs> fucking Pennywise. Bro him. So, no, fuck you, Anna. I actually Pennywise. just saw, I saw today that Avail have uh, reformed. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, Tim, is Tim Barry the singer for Veil? Because he, I think it is. Yeah, right? it is. Aye, aye. He's, he's done a lot of solo records over the past decade. He's just turned into a sort of yeah, folky sort yeah, of yeah, folky sort of troubadour sort of stuff. He's actually a really funny guy. Really I'm interesting just, dude. I'm racking my brain for all those punkorama uh, compilations. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, they toured with a lot. Of, they toured with a lot of the names that you used to see in those like uh, Lagwagon and Comeback mm. Kid, and they toured with Listen Jake as well, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Uh, they were on like Listen Jake The singer The singer The guitar player singer Formed Fueled by Ramen Records The bloody Paramore record Yeah And then he sold thing. He sold that um, Or he, he, Whatever the stake was That he had in it He gave away And he started another record label, record label Called Paper and Plastic um, Which is like Much more kind of Indie Like uh, Indie in the sense Like an independent label And uh, Well I'm screaming Actually released uh, An EP For Paper and Plastic and they've released a few cool things but they don't really do a lot of albums pretty cool mm. so is it, <laughs> is it fair to say overall a Wilhelm Scream kind of started off as a skate punk band mm-hmm. yeah it got a bit more metal a bit more melodic hardcore yeah. but then this album sees them slightly step away from melodic hardcore mm. maybe be a bit more I don't know. It, I thought I mean, this was faster. A, I thought it's this was a melodic. Har- I thought this was a melodic hardcore, and the previous one was a bit emo because he spoke about yeah. them dropping their emo. It was certainly emo. I mm. remember uh, Ruiner. Yeah. I was introduced to me by like my emo friend uh, at uni. He's dead. He gave me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't know where he. What happened to him? His eyeliner but, ran um, out. He just died. Uh, that was like a genre of music that I was. I always preferred like the emo metal sort mm. of stuff. And a Wilhelm scream was just a bit too punk for me. Mm. But I remember listening to Runer. Go, yeah, it's all right. But probably won't listen to it again. Mm. So I hadn't heard this after. So I was intrigued to hear the fact that it. Had Sort of got rid of that emo influence. It is weird that whole got a Venn, lot more shreddy. See the Venn diagram of emo, how it overlaps with all these different genres, like you know metalcore and punk rock. And the emo that I liked was much more indie. It was like yeah, yeah, far and mm-hmm. Appleseed Cast and all those mm-hmm. kind of like more. Yeah, it's funny how there's sprawly bands. Yeah, yeah, it can go all the and way up. Emo is going to end up doing it being a mixtape. And obviously, Marcus yeah. still got your live pop, pop punk, punk mixtape yeah. in the tank. So uh, oh, a lot of this is going to come back up. Hi folks, sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure. 
Pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure. Uh, but we're doing our usual beg again. Uh, but we've been asking for money a lot. We always ask for money, don't we? Like all the time. That's why we call it the cash. Yeah. Call. But we don't. They, they, now the people know the magic behind the scenes. <laughs> the secret recipes out there. The secret recipes <laughs> out there. Although we do like it when you give us money, and you can do that at unsungpod.net forward slash donate, we'd like more people to listen to our podcast. So I know we've always said like share with a friend or tag a friend, but if just... you don't tag one person in this episode, you are a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. It needs to be done. What he said. Yeah. So that doesn't have to be this episode, can be any episode, but yeah, just tag a friend and. A friend that does not listen to this podcast. But likes or really dislikes the band that we're talking about, or any band, just that fucking tag about. him. Yeah, just wanker. Or the next time that some normal person on Facebook goes, "Hey guys, I'm looking for podcast recommendations." <laughs> Bloody post ours. Just go. Hey, this one is superb. This the guys is the, are really cool. This podcast is the tits. You should go listen to it. Yeah, Use those exact need. words as a quote from me if you want. But yeah, so we'd really appreciate it if you could do that. So. Please do that. Thanks. Yes, sure, old wankers. This, this band formed in 1994 Yeah A long time ago And apparently originally Is something of a Nirvana inspired outfit mm-hmm. <laughs> I know Like these guys formed in school <laughs> These guys formed in school You know what I mean So uh, it's, it's weird to think that they well, I guess Nuno and, and Trevor definitely uh, Grew together as musicians Continue to do so to this day But starting off it was a bit Nirvana vibe But like <laughs> you can't can never tell Nah, <laughs> you, never just, tell. you really don't hear it in the early yeah. stuff As far as I, at least I'm aware And they were originally called, what, Cohen? Cohen, yeah And then Adam's Crack mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not making this up um, <laughs> Funny, I guess they're, they're, I've met the guys a few times I've got a massive, massive sense of humour Don't take anything to too <laughs> A seriously. massive sense of humour um, No, I don't think you, you wouldn't really get that from, Especially from this record It's the wrong wrong, ad- it's just know, a wrong I mean, adjective I don't think you would think they're a particularly uh, humorous band a really pretty music. appetite <laughs> <laughs> really A massive sense of humour, what is that? I don't, think you could, I don't think I think that's valid, I don't think you could tell in their music In this particular this album I don't think Anyway, <laughs> no, no, that's. I, I would have said certainly on previous records that they're quite earnest. Mm-hmm. Like they sound quite earnest. Like this whole genre to me, like especially the emo stuff. I mean, I think that's what put me off with uh, Runer was that it does sound quite earnest, and it's like we are twenty-six-year-old American white men, and we're saying things that are very important to us in our slightly graphic voices. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know, I. It just seems a bit too serious for me, a bit, a are, little bit po-faced. But are they not meant to be totally good time guys live? Is that another are, thing? Yeah. Is that they're they're an uncharacteristically upbeat melodic yeah, hardcore band? I mean, they're they're a ton of fun live, and um, I think a lot of the lyrics are, are quite funny as well. They just don't deliver them in a well. That's what I got from this fa- record. Manner, you know, so it was actually quite funny, and there yeah. was some There's a lot of funny uh, lines in this. Like know? their early stuff, that the way to uh, girls' heart, they'd referred to in interviews as their most cheerful record mm-hmm. and they'd said that uh, Benefits of Thinking Out Loud, the kind of skate punk one that came out after and they re-released 
apparently there was a lot of tension between members during the production of that and then uh, is it Carvalho the guitarist at the time left Mm -hmm. and that's when they changed over to Wilhelm Scream the Mute Mute Print print, yeah is that Mm -hmm. the name of it Mute Print that was the first one produced by Bill Stevenson yeah uh, who we've mentioned many times Mm -hmm. including on the Descendants episode because he was the drummer that was the first one he worked on faster a bit more aggressive like they've saying but the words are sexy to a happy Uh, a lot more technical. Ruiner was another Stevenson one. Um, there was a lot, apparently a lot of stress around the touring for that though. And the Tevez, the bassist, left it at the time as yeah, well. Yeah, that was the first time they came to Europe and stuff. And, that, and they had a lot of, I think they were on a lot of, a lot of tour packages across the world at that point. It was really the step up. I guess they, they were kind of with a, I suppose they kind of crossed over with that emo crowd that was happening. They were on Nitro Records, AFI, Rufio were doing stuff. At that time, they were both either on Nitro or had just left Nitro. So there was a bit of goodwill around them, that, around that kind of music at the time, which I think they managed to carry on because they don't sound anything like any of the bands they tour with. Mm-hmm. And and they were doing some really big tours, like we said, like the Listen Jake and Lagwagon tours were pretty big, especially yeah. for bands from that from that scene. I saw them with Rise Against as well, um, who were on their way to getting, well, definitely on their way to getting is huge because that was, I guess, late... late Sort of late 2000s, right? So, yeah. I guess we're starting to get big. I think the thing is the band spoke in interviews as well, though, about being really broke. You know, despite decent tours and, Mm -hmm. you know, a moderate sort of profile. And this is like 2000 and what, 2004, 5, 6, 7, that kind of era. Yeah. When the money was draining out the music business, like, rapid. And I think they just felt that a lot. They were, they were really struggling to make ends meet which led to tension like we said Tevez left he was replaced on bass um, the guy that replaced him on bass Brian J. Robinson yeah it's very 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 good player fucking unbelievable and, man but I mean they said that that obviously had a, played a big part in how the the, the sound changed going forwards uh, for he was one of the fill-in bass players of the band and I, the first scene the second or third time I seen him live was with him and it was they were still playing Ruiner songs, and it was it was a total, it was immediately a completely different band. Hmm. Like just his music, his musicality, I guess you could say, it was like right fucking up there, yeah. man. Like way better than anybody I mean, else. Obviously, we'll, we'll go through the album, but I do sort of think like his ability. They kind of I think get a wee bit carried away with it at points. It, mm-hmm. it, it gets a little bit. You know, it's like a drummer doing too many fills at yeah. times. So there's obviously. They're quite excited at the prospect of how good this new bassist actually is. Um, I'm not sure it always works for the, the best of it, but what do you know? I mean, I was looking at the way that the records were ranked. Mute Print was actually ranked as their second best album mm-hmm. by fans yeah. on average. Um, Ruiner came in fourth uh, behind that Benefits of Thinking Out Loud, um, followed by Party Crash or the 2013 album. Mm-hmm. I listened to it, it sounded fine. I thought Mute Print was actually pretty generic, but I guess, you know, a lot of people that are into this kind of music, generic is the flip side of consistent with the genre. Mm-hmm. It's what they're looking for. Career Suicide was the fans' number one album, obviously. I'm just not sure. 
So punk music's quite delineated, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've just done what fifteen minutes of trying to kind of dis- determine what they are and when they are. Do you think the reason they were struggling for money to some extent, and the reason that they've never broken through a kind of glass ceiling, is because people were always a little bit uncertain about what box to put them in? I think so. Yeah. You know, they have changed. I mean, to the untrained ear, they've not changed that much. I guess if you're somebody that doesn't listen to punk music, but to a punk fan it's important what genre your band is from, whether it's hardcore, melodic hardcore, pop punk. And these guys seem to have kind of passed through them. And I don't know if that's played a part in them struggling to reach a higher level. Possibly that and the fact that they just don't really seem to write big hooky songs that you expect from punk bands either. They've never really been that kind of act. They've been on, like we've already spoken about, they've been on a bunch of huge tours with some massive, massive punk bands Lesson Jake being a good example Lagwagon not as big but still a pretty big deal especially when it comes to the whole skate punk thing which is kind of the genre they kind of came from um, I think you're probably right there though I mean I've never seen them play in a venue bigger than Sleazy's mm-hmm. ever unless they were supporting somebody else like Rise Against I think whenever single time I see they're going to tour I always know what they're going to play because they're, they're one of these bands that I think they've just hit like I fucking love the band they're one of my favourite bands man but they've definitely hit their level and I don't think they'll ever get past that unless something changes. But is that not fine? You know? Because that's totally fine. Yeah, because they're not going mainstream. They're not going pop hooks. They're just like yeah, but they're broke. That's part of being a punk band. Like I, d- I don't, I don't know if <laughs> no effects agree with you there. Yeah, yeah no, but <laughs> no effects got shit. And if you're of a certain genre, there's always going to be a certain limit to how many fans you can get. Like there's not very many rich grindcore bands out there. There's not very many rich you know, whatever's, and that's fine. You know, to be able to go to Glasgow and play 200 cap venue or go to cities around the world and play 200 cap venues, that's pretty good. I'd love it. I think uh, the the economics of it, though, at that scale are probably just below the level whereby you can sort of... Yeah, I think... It can self-sustain yeah. in the long term, especially as you get older and families come into play. They'll be, they'll be going on tour and breaking even, do you know what I mean? I think it also explains the, the, the gap between the records as well. It's grown bigger. Yeah, but going into it and breaking even is, you know, if you've got kids and you've got like yeah. four different sets of families and you're taking a month, two months off work to go and tour an album in Europe and the US, that's two months of income you mm-hmm. don't have for a family. And I think that's part of the economy that leads to bands what? breaking up. What might seem sustainable for us, certainly when you're in your late teens, early 20s, it is totally a dream ticket because mm-hmm. you're like, no responsibilities, blah, blah, blah. But the, you know... The, the, the facts of life, if you will, the, the, the kind of harsh economics of, of obligations and responsibilities, when you're at that level that you're talking about, you know, anything... Well, you either split up or you decide to do an AFI or a Paramore or something and you write big pop yeah, songs. exactly. And then you get slagged the fuck off by people like us who say, why didn't you just fucking split up when you were good? I was like, oh, because the, you wanted to support your families and well, get I think wealthy. You, you think so. you'll find I actually said that Burials was the best... AFI <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah that's true the length of time between Korea Suicide and Party Crash are I mean they did lose a guitar player and they got arguably a much better guitar player and Mike Supina to come in who, who has a much better proposition live as well which didn't really translate to the record Party Crasher but the, t- the time in between those two records is probably just a case of that is life is life getting in the way is life actually happening you know it takes longer for you to sit down and do it and then want to want to tour because you know at the end of it you're going to come home and you've just lost like like you say a month or two months of work and, uh, and all the money and you've time made with your family yeah, as well all That's the, the money you've made goes into keeping paying your rent or paying for your kids food or whatever do you know what I mean and then you lose the money and you're coming back and it's like 
you've been in a time capsule for two months, but life has like changed in two months since, since you've come back home. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think in my experience as well, from other people's perspectives, I don't have any children, but it's not just coming home without the money because a lot of people can absorb that, and a lot of people have. A really maybe a, a great relationship with their partner or their family who will help them accommodate that because it's a passion. I think losing a month, two months of your child's life, time of your child when mm-hmm. when when they're young. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I've hung around with kids. They're fucking shite. I mean, I, I don't have any. <laughs> Get me away from babies. I'm not going to argue, but I just I, you see that aspect of it playing a big part as well. Nuno has Nuno has two kids. He, he, Post about them on Instagram sometimes, you know what I mean? And I've got no doubt that's why they don't do it. Terrible as much, idea. You know? Terrible idea. Those photos will be on the, the deep web. Like that that's a different conversation we can have. Because <laughs> I have I have see, I have serious reservations about that generally anyway. Like I don't think if I had kids, I definitely would not be putting pictures of them online. Absolutely fucking not. But it, it, it will be playing a part, you know what I mean? Because he won't be the only one. The other guys in the band will Yeah. You know, and it will be playing Well fuck it. You know, it makes part. some it makes some fitting candidates for this because the product is high quality and they're not getting rich, so they deserve at least a little bit of a listen if you're vaguely inclined towards punk rock. They now, they I would say they they are legit. Would you concur with <laughs> they that? They are legit. They are legit. I'd say they're keeping it real. In popular parlance. They are Legit. They are um, legit. So before we get waded in about career suicide, will we go to Nexus? Because I think yeah. we, all, we all have one, right? We, we all have one. Um, Mark, we do. You give us a bit of fritz. Oh yeah. It's the Unsung Podcast. Dave Grohl Nexus need to find a way to connect the show to that guy. Fritzed out your fucking nut. <laughs> uh, right, Mark, this is yours, so you go first. Okay. Um, so, let us begin. I'll cast your mind back to 2009. Right, hang on, first of all, don't make this either as long as that last <laughs> terrible not as fucking long. long one or as short as all the other short ones. It's before. not as long. It's, it's a nice half of me to must think you like Goldilocks it. Goldilocks zone, please. please. Please cast your mind back to 2009. They released a self-titled EP called A Wilhelm Scream. On the Australian version of that, they covered the outfield song Your Love. Fucking tune, by the way. That is a fucking tune. Is that actually true? That's oh, a really, really yeah, good song. Like yeah. Pure, pure yeah, snide, yeah. Yeah. No, no, it is a great song. Now, if you were an English band, and that was a huge hit in America, less so here, but still, still a really good song. And on that record, and on the record after that as well, the keyboards were played by a chap called Reg White. Reg Webb, sorry, by Reg Webb. He does sound like Reg he'd, Webb. he'd be in um, Phoenix Knights. <laughs> this is Reginald <laughs> Webber. This is not the first Reg in this Nexus. Um, Reg Webb has played for a bunch of people. It is the first, it's maybe not the last. 
Yeah, it's not the last bit <laughs> in this year, right? He's played uh, keyboards for a bunch of people, including Lenny Kravitz and Susie Quattro. Uh, mm-hmm. Susie Quattro was an American singer-songwriter who's perhaps most famous for her huge 1973 hit, Can the Can. Um, she's also an actress. Did you know that? No. Nope. She's also got a type of Audi race named after her. <laughs> she totally does. <laughs> um, she's appeared in Absolutely Fabulous, Midsummer Murders, and of course... Midsummer Murders, are you yeah. joking? Yeah. Bergenel. Bergenel. And of course, Bob the Builder. <laughs> <laughs> nice best thing. Yeah, Bob the Builder, as you know, is uh, very well known for having two hits yeah one called Can We Fix It and the other one a couple a cover of Mambo Number no. 5 unfortunately Susie so Quattro was what? not Bo- asked wait wait wait, wait. Bobby yeah. Builder did Mambo Number no. 5 he totally did covered he covered Mambo Number no. 5 yeah. Yeah. you said as you know I didn't know that oh you know now <laughs> see I don't have kids don't pay attention or hang about kids Mark <laughs> <laughs> anyway Susie Quattro's singing talents were not asked to be part of the album which was released called Bob the Builder the album and this album features a guest appearance from none other than Elton John, who plays piano and duets on a version of Crocodile Rock with Neil Morrissey, a.k.a. Bob the Builder. And uh, <laughs> Elton John is, I mean, he's a friend of Dave Grohl, but I'm not going to go down that route. He's like, also a friend of Dorothy. Mm-hmm. He is. He's also named Reginald. Ah. Um, he also appears on the Queen's of Stone Age album Link Clockwork on a song, Fairweather Friends, where Dave Grohl also plays drums. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's a it's a Great. shit album Yeah it's not very good It's bad Yeah So there you go And Dave Grohl okay, is Dave Grohl Once again uh, I think you've stolen a section of my nexus <laughs> Somehow three weeks in a row he's done it Well uh, Although get- it was the last bit Which is quite often uh, So um, I'm going to go Their 2005 record Ruiner uh, Featured a song Which I can definitely get on board with uh, less bright eyes, more deicide, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, a motto to live by. Not the best song, right? Not the best song title on that record either. No, they've got yeah some good belters on that actually. Deicide, classic uh, Floridian death metal. Fronted by your good man Glenn Benton, who is of course in league with Satan. Has he uh, lost his voice yet? Because he just screams all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Deicide are actually pretty good, aren't they? Yeah. Now apparently, Deicide were signed to Roadrunner when he just stormed into Roadrunner Records' uh, office, met their A&R man, Monty Connors, and just said, uh, sign us, you fucking asshole! <laughs> <laughs> and so they were signed. So Monty Connors, who worked for Roadrunner Records, also signed, it would appear to be most metal bands in the 80s and 90s, everybody from Amen, Slipknot, Trivium, uh, Keith Caputo, Devil Driver, Typo Negative, huge amounts of bands he's worked with he's done international stuff with loads of guys um so it'd be quite easy but one band he did was uh he signed was cky a yeah. classic not skate punk but like skate rock it's still going it's still yep. going somehow still going. but yeah i mean actually their first album's actually quite interesting <laughs> Bring me to where I am. 
like weird and wonky. Mm. Um, so CKY are obviously very much associated with the television program and movie franchise Jackass. What with member Jess Mar- Margera being Bam Margera's brother, they uh, also had Darren Miller and appeared in many of the Jackass episodes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a struggle. I know, sorry. And then Jackass, I was just looking through the list of uh, guests that they had on. They had obviously like folk like Tony Hawk and people like that. Uh, Britney Spears appeared in an episode of uh, Jackass. Did she shave her head for a bit? She did not. No, mm-hmm. that was uh, mental illness. Mental illness. <laughs> so that's hilarious. <laughs> Always get the two confused. Uh, <laughs> um, although betting is a form of mental illness, uh, would you say? I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. Gambling. No, probably um, not. Anyway, Britney Spears famously uh, appeared in full denim outfits with her then partner Justin Timberlake. <laughs> I think it was like 2001 MTV Awards or something. This is a denim link coming down. Uh, Justin Timberlake, uh, previously of NSYNC and with a very good record, Justified. I mean, we can't deny that it's probably, instead of listening to Thriller now, you can listen to Justified and it's not a paedophile. So, you know, just a Thriller in the bin. Uh, anyway, Justin Timberlake uh, famously had a big part in buying out MySpace mm-hmm. in 2010, <laughs> 2011, I think. And I mean, that Bl- went, that went well. quite badly. <laughs> they lost everybody's they, songs. Yeah, they've lost everybody's songs. I don't have my one man death metal project on MySpace Thank anymore. Fuck for that. Uh, anyway, uh, MySpace's biggest ever artist, the one with the most plays and the one who... Uh, got famous from my spaces the arctic monkeys uh arctic monkeys of course their third album humbug was co-produced by joshua home mm. from queens of stone age it's a really good album of which dave Grohl was a part-time member of mm-hmm. blah blah i'm gonna say Ding. that again because it's not fashionable but it is a really good album actually pretty good I mean Arctic Monkeys have good songs on most of their albums but I'd say that's their good album yeah I can't give a fuck about them but that is a good record it does sound a lot like Queens of Stone Age though yeah well that'll yeah. happen right, go okay. to Desert record with Joshua Woo. Uh, well none of that was even vaguely related to mine so uh, a Wilhelm Scream take their name uh, oh I knew you could in this I knew you could yeah, be in this because you know we take it for granted that people know this but a Wilhelm scream is probably the world's most famous sound effect yep. um, it originated in a film in 1951 called Distant Drums um, and has since been in round about 400 films and counting as well as countless TV shows It was made famous, uh, made famous in the charge of Feather River in yep. 1953, which was actually, I think, the third movie to use it. When there we go, there it is. <laughs> when uh, Private Wilhelm is eaten by an alligator. No, he's not he's shot in the leg. Uh, he's shot in the leg with an arrow, but then he's attacked. You're thinking the- of the first film that it was in Desert or something. You've got the mixed nope. up, mate. You have. It's Feather River. <laughs> no, that you're right. You're right about it, but. Um, you're, you're right yeah, about anyway, that aspect, doesn't it? It was matter. probably yeah. by Sheb Woolley, 
who yeah, yeah. Uh, was an actor uh, and also a musician. The by the way, that that has also been in Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Batman Returns, and Toy Story, mm-hmm. uh, amongst others. It's um, actually an ongoing joke between George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, an interesting fact is though that Sheb Willie was also a singer who enjoyed a number one hit single for six weeks in 1958 with the song "Purple People Eat." I, I was I almost went down this exact same route. I had a one long horn and one big eye. <laughs> And I'll actually mention the purple people eater again in a moment. Yeah, no, um, I know why. <laughs> but the Wilhelm Scream, one of the films the Wilhelm Scream was used in was The Green Berets in 1968, which was a fairly famous propaganda piece by notorious cunt face John Wayne um, the all American hero the Green Berets was set in Vietnam it was described by the New York Times as unspeakable stupid rotten vile <laughs> and insane um, uh, after Mr John Wayne whose real name was Marion Mitchell Morrison uh, allowed it to be uh, rewritten in part by the Pentagon and the various aspects of the plot were subject to approval by the Pentagon at the time and Lyndon Johnson Fuck. Uh, John Wayne was very much an establishment man. Mm. Interestingly, by the way, sorry, very small deviation, but I couldn't avoid saying it. John Wayne died of cancer in 1979, mm-hmm. all right, three years after his last film, The Shootist, where he played a, a gunfighter dying of cancer. John Wayne almost certainly got cancer when he was filming a film called The Conqueror in mm-hmm. the 1950s, which was filmed in Utah, and it was only a decade after the original Manhattan Project uh, hydrogen bombs were tested. Um, of the 220 people, uh, a crew and actors that worked in that film, 91 of them died of cancer, including every single leading and supporting cast member. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually fucking mental. It's insane. And Michael Wayne, John Wayne's son, who visited the set when he was 22 years old, also mm-hmm. died of cancer Fuck. the Native Americans in the film who played the Mongolians <laughs> many 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 of the extras they also developed cancer that, that film was a fucking massive curse anyway John Wayne famously was part of a group the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals and the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals handed a list of communists and communist sympathisers uh, during um, the kind of American neuroses against the McCarthyist um, yeah. kind of uprising against communists and reds in the USA. One person who was outspoken against communism as part of that was Gary Cooper, who was also in High Noon. And High Noon was sort of brilliantly and somewhat ironically uh, directed by Carl Foreman as a satire of the McCarthy witch trials to some extent. And John Wayne felt that High Noon demonstrated all manner of anti-American symbolism and messaging, uh, forcing Carl Foreman to eventually move to England. Sheb Willie. Uh, of Purple People Eater and Wilhelm Scream fame was also in High Noon. Uh, the theme tune of High Noon was sung by a musician and actor at the time called Tex Ritter. Tex Ritter has a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame and his star is right next to the star of Mr. Jerry Lee Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis 
uh, was played by Dennis Quaid in the film adaptation Great Balls of Fire, which uh, covered his notorious Hellraiser rock and roll lifestyle, a lifestyle that included as his third wife uh, taking his 13-year-old first cousin, Myra Gale Brown, as his bride, when he was in fact also still married and therefore had to be married to her again once the original one was annulled or divorced or whatever. Myra Gale Brown was played by Winona Ryder in that film to some acclaim and we may have touched on this in the past Dave Grohl once dumped his then girlfriend Louise Post a member of the popular alternative rock group Veruca Salt by phone uh, allegedly so he could then hook up with Winona Ryder Post was on tour at the time and apparently got so drunk she could barely play that evening Smashing Can I just do a quick fact thing Fact grenade Can I just do a little fact grenade here (laughs) just to clear up the Wilhelm scream So it was actor Shep Woolley who voiced it originally He was the original voice actor in the film Distant Drums Mm -hmm. Where he's eaten by an alligator Right. Right. So that's the original noise. And then Private Wilhelm was in the later film, The Charge of Feather River, played by somebody called Ralph Brooks, where he gets hit by an arrow. There you go, Mark. But they used the sample, uh, and it was named after his character, but it was actually from two films before. I interesting that Mark was right about that section. Well, you're both kind of right. Yeah, no, but I'd say Mark right. was more right. There you are. Anyway, Fritz me. Alright, you guys ready? Are you ready? Here we go! <laughs> right, let's take a spin at career suicide and then Uh, so this album was their third as Wilhelm Scream. Yep. And fifth overall. Their fifth overall, yeah. yeah. And just, as we said earlier on, much faster, uh, kind of veering towards the more technical side of things. They they claim to have been listening to stuff like Propaganda, Municipal Waste, and uh, RKL, Rich Kids and LSD. <laughs> at the time of writing it and really inspired by that uh, they supposedly dropped a lot of the emo and kind of post-hardcore elements that they felt had been present uh, in Ruiner previously because they wanted something really relentless and something that kind of issued breaks and downtime some folk felt it was closer to skate punk than melodic hardcore I kind of think it's still very melodic hardcore yeah I would say it's it's only as close to skate punk in terms of speed and even then it's faster than most skate punk bands ever ever play yeah and it was punknews.org's album of 2007. If that means anything to you, then thank, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, uh, gives a wee tour. Uh, yeah, so I first heard this record with, uh, with the, the first single, Five to Nine, which is the second song on the album. Mm-hmm. I really remember it being just, it's just like them playing silhouetted against the big white screen. Working five to nine. <laughs> that would have been a good chorus, wouldn't it? If only someone hadn't known it before <laughs> with different lyrics. Um I remember first hearing it and being like, what the fuck is this? Because I'd heard um, Ruiner before and I liked Mute Print and Ruiner, but not, like, I wasn't mad keen on them. I, I always felt Ruiner was, was a bit, I mean, it's only like 20, 39 minutes long, but it still feels far too long. You know, all the slower parts when they're really doing it for me and Mute Print is kind of half a good album, half a bad album. So when I heard that, I was like, what the fuck? Is that actually the same band? And it, it totally was. But I mean, the obviously. first, that, 
because it starts out the gates and with and a, a white mask with robots. Yeah. yeah, super direct, really yeah. fast. Yeah. So when the album dropped and that was the first song, I was like, I'm fucking, I'm super into this. This is, mm-hmm. this is exactly what I was expecting. But it's not the album scream that I knew. It's, the production really pop, pops out straight away. It's got that total, we've spoken about it before, but whenever Bill Stevenson and Jason Livermore do production, man, it's always got that pure muscular guitar punch. Even at Descendants record has it, and it's not a particularly heavy record, but mm-hmm. it's got really nice, rounded sounding guitars. And from a career point of view, when you hear that song, it's you like, as basically saying, by the way, we're not fucking around anymore. You're in 100 miles per hour and we're taking you on this ride. It's all about speed and it kind of starts and doesn't stop for like 35 minutes. It's a very fast album. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's brutal and, and pace anyway. In terms it, of pace. it does have a decent amount of landmarks though. You know, mm-hmm. the, I mean, even listening to it passively the first time when I was like, I, I don't mean I was tuned out, but I just, I was just kind of getting to grips with the speed and the texture and the sort of vague feel of it. But there were moments that were like, oh, that's a standout kind of little bit. That there's a couple of really good hooks. Yeah, there's some like really interesting like shreddy parts that are like fun as yeah. well. Like there's an Iron Maiden influence in here. Yeah, there's even like a yeah. Fall of Troy influence. I think they they did they not tour with them as well. Fall, Fall of Troy, Troy at yeah. some point. Uh-huh. Yeah, but the the five to nine uh, track, the second one, really has big nods to kind of old school metal and Iron mm-hmm. Maiden. I mean, I think it even almost copies like one of the riffs that was at the Trooper. Yeah, almost, and, yeah. and it's got loads of that kind of harmonised guitar parts mm. and some even some of the specific riffs are really very very big nods to them mm. um, but so they're all obviously much faster than yeah, Iron yeah, Maiden well, and yeah. I, it's, it's when, got a great vocal at the end of that song yeah totally well. like it One of the things that popped out to me when I was listening to it with like a critic clear is like they've got a really interesting way of using melody that a lot of bands don't use for a chorus. It's almost like inverted sounding, if that makes sense. Like it 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 is catchy without being obviously catchy. They're using something which a lot of punk bands don't use and it sounds a little bit strange and that's why I like it. Alright, okay. Their it's, approach, it's so their yeah. approach to harmonised yeah. lines it's not like, but it's not like is bad religion. Not as major and yeah. obvious uh-huh. as, as others. Yeah. Well I think one of the reasons bad religion are so good though is that they use minor harmonies and kind of diminished harmonies. Yeah. I think that's what sets them apart. I think these guys are closer to that. Mm-hmm. They're more innovative than your traditional pop punk, which is always very, very obviously, you know, the third and the seventh, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a chord and it's a major chord and it's pretty boring. Um, these guys have a little bit more invention to them. Track three by The Horse, that is still my favourite name for heroin. <laughs> Ultra technical bass in that one. I think that's where the the inclusion of uh, Robinson is just a little bit OTT. Mm-hmm. I get it. The guy's amazing. Um, I, it just it's, it's, a, it's a little bit. Oh, the pudding is over egged. There's a good interview with um, Trevor um, where he talks about 
how when they were writing this record, it was like the f- Brian started playing the bass and he was like, fuck, this guy can really play. We really need to, really need to up our game. Yeah, I think I read that as well. And then they started doing it and I think he says that like when we were playing it, we were all just giggling at each other because we're like, this is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Like this is absolutely It's that crazy. weird thing. Yeah. As somebody that's been in bands, mm-hmm. especially our drummer, the guy can do ridiculous things. Let's get him to do it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't always benefit the music. It works you know, a lot better live. I, well, I think, live, it's yeah. a, it's a live, it's a real wall moment. You know, it's it's got it's got that wow factor. But but I mean, it's the opposite of jazz. You know, it's the the notes that you don't play. This is all about the notes that he is no, playing. But then again, man, jazz is so strewn with ridiculously flashy. <laughs> well, like, no, certain well, types like, of jazz. Uh, here, here's 15 minutes set aside so the saxophonist can have a solo, then the, the crowd can clap, then the drummer can have a solo and the, cl- the crowd can clap. I mean, jazz is certainly <laughs> by no means we a need to do a jazz affair. Album. We do actually need to do a jazz we album. We probably should do a jazz album at some right. point. I'm just <laughs> clicking my fingers and acknowledging that. Anyway, um, on the song, the, the ride symbol work at the start, I think I really love that. I always, I, I just noticed it pop out to Good pop out him today. Oh, he's a great ride. <laughs> and that bass. Don't is, shake your head, Dave. You're no better <laughs> than that. You just didn't get there first. That bass is just a. He just fucking abuses the fretboard, <laughs> and there's there's no need for it at all. Abuse, a ride. <laughs> um, we're better than this. Come on. I had to say it, we're man. going back. And we're veering back towards the sending territory here with farts. Um, the chorus is yeah, it's got a really nostalgic sort of victory vibe to it mm-hmm. that reminded me a lot of stuff from when I was really young. Decent vocal line as well. That one that goes, it's in a uh, uh, some some save ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's towards the end of the track. I thought it was a really well written bit. Die while we're die while we're young. The fourth track, yeah, does have that really naive sort of. It's got a youthful angst balanced with kind of optimism. Mm-hmm. That it's, it's just very teenage. It's very sort of just very naive and energetic. But um, I, I kind of liked it for that. It's pretty yeah. sweet. It's got my favourite vocal on the record, I think. Favourite verse, definitely, on, on the record. This is probably that song. Because it does have that sweetness to it, which the record hasn't had at this point. So it's a little bit of variation again. And then doing, let's do something a bit more traditional with the vocal. Yeah, I, th- I think c- combined with the title, Die While We're Young, mm-hmm. it, there's a really melancholy hopefulness to that song. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really quite nice. Plus the solo. Solo in it really reminded me of Bad Religion. No, the last line is "Die while we're young, but we're too old for that." That's <laughs> just quite oh, funny. lads nailed it. <laughs> Tell me about it. I um, thought it was going to be the Twenty Seven Club. Yeah, there's a really interesting stuff in the right channel the guitar, which is just like almost like a struck like picking when the guitar's like going mad on the riffs, mm-hmm. which is a nice little touch as well. Now, can I be honest though about this album? I think. One thing about this kind of music is that whenever I listen to it at first, I'm like, oh, fuck off. And then the second listen, I'm like, ah, oh, it's actually all right. Third listen, I'm like, well, I'm kind of starting to pick it apart because there's so much thrown at you so quickly and it's such a concentrated fashion that, you know, it's so rapid, literally, mm-hmm. that it can be hard to really get into it rather than just getting hit in the face by a brick. And um, mm-hmm. I think it's the kind of thing that takes a little bit 
more time to really do justice and especially the later al- the later tracks on these albums suffer if you don't have enough time of them so I'm just putting mm-hmm. this out there I've probably not had enough time of this to really appreciate the later stuff because I did start to have trouble in terms of tuning out it's not it's not a long album but I did still have problems maintaining my focus and as a result some of the later songs which maybe just every bit as good as the earlier songs just didn't stand out but my gut instinct was that they maybe weren't as strong that they'd kind of front loaded it a wee bit yeah. um, I, felt, I felt Joy's Three People Now was really unremarkable yeah I thought Jaws 3 people now though had some of the more interesting lyrical hooks on it maybe it's just because he says piss myself and shit himself Cause it's, yeah because it yeah. talks about poo there <laughs> we go descendants oh <laughs> descendant and descendants um, yeah. but yeah Career Suicide really pulls it back it's a super complex riff man like probably one that works yeah. really well live as well I can imagine Yeah, these um, Death Streets as well works really well live too. Like my, maybe my favourite chorus on the record. Can I see something about this that fucked me right off that song, These Dead Streets? And it, I would apply it to almost the entire Ruiner album. There is way too much auto-tune on the vocal. I mean, either these guys are the most immaculate harmonising singers that I've ever heard in punk rock music, or there's a lot of auto-tune. And I think coming off the back of that whole kind of good Charlotte era where there was an element of like punk rock getting really treated with a lot of the kind of modern production techniques, it it wasn't taboo anymore to auto-tune a punk band because punk had probed into the kind of mainstream with some of these big breakout pop punk artists to the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I feel there's too much of that. On, on that song these dead streets really at times to me sounds very auto-tuned and that left me really cold about that whole Ruiner album in general I would rather they left the imperfections in uh, it's a punk album mm-hmm. you know um, if I'm wrong then kudos for your astonishing abilities mm-hmm. at harmonising but I don't think I am and I, I think as a result I started to zone out a wee bit after that one although the, the ninth track Our Ghosts the chorus in that Back to skate punk that song really pulled me back in a bit though. It's it's got a really it's cheesy, but it's a nice cheesy. It's a cheesy that does its job. You know, it's very singable for want of a. I think the song before that getting mad just half a bit has has got some pretty funny lyrics. I don't know, like there's a lot of good bass parts on it as well, but there always is in this record. <laughs> um, the tenth tune called Cold Slither Two. Slither Two. Mm-hmm. I thought it was again. It's that punk thing that I just don't get. Where it's it. It's quite tropey, and I know a lot of people that are into it. That's what they want. Mm-hmm. 
for me, I'm like, eh, I've heard this before. And that's what I mean. Like, I felt the, the, the front loading of the album started to show up a bit. I mean, like, maybe with more time, I would get much more into the later material, but I did feel like there was a lot more of that kind of throwaway thing on the second half of the record. Um, I don't, I mean, I probably wouldn't go that far, um, but we'll come to reasons why, I guess, really soon when we get to the last couple of songs. Uh, well, um, Pardon Me, Thanks a Lot, I thought it was really skatey. Yes, yeah, well. that's actually about Mitt Robney, that song. Is it? So Mitt Romney's the governor, well, he was the governor of Massachusetts at the time and he kept ragging on New Bedford and then he was running for president at the same time and Trevor was just like, fuck it, I'm going to write a song about him. So it was like basically them or him saying that, just basically slagging him off just for the fun of it. I love how badly the criticism of Mitt Romney aged though once we got Trump. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly everybody was like, yes, fucking Mitt Romney, please. <laughs> Bring back Ted Cruz. <laughs> Jesus. Bring oh, back his Zodiac he's killer. A, he's a wee <laughs> fucking... Lizard, that wee guy. I mean, Trump or not, man, Ted Cruz can just still fuck off. I cannot stand him. How, anyway. are, you, how are you feeling so far about this, Dave? Fine. The cool. podcast or the album? <laughs> Both. <laughs> uh, yeah, as you can probably tell, I don't have a huge amount to say just because it's a genre that never just quite clicked with me. But I did recognise that it's quite a fun record to listen to. There's fucking loads of energy to it. I there's loads of little hidden woodly bits that I enjoyed mm-hmm. uh, so on the surface of it it's one that I kind of had on in work and you know I kept replaying it because it was just quite nice background music funnily enough mm-hmm. um, but it's not something that I'd ever you know stick on for a walk yeah. home or whatever mm-hmm. I mean it's not my genre but I can recognise that it's it's pretty fun and pretty good at what it is Mark, you, you made special mention in the last two tracks. Why yeah, so check the question I had and we built the city on Deaths and Booze, which is a great song title. Um, oh, yeah, we built the city, I thought, was the closest they got to anthemic. It's got a, it's like got a slightly uh-huh. slower pace at points. It was yeah. a good way to finish. Check the question I had is almost like a intro to it because it's in the same key. It starts the same, kind of the same way it ends. With it, uh, sorry, we built the city starts the same way that check the question I had ends. Yeah. We built this city as, and I'm. This is one of my favourite songs ever. Even after twelve years, I still get fucking shivers in my spine when the first guitar solo comes in, and I don't know why, because it is properly anthemic. Totally wanky as fuck. It's so so overblown. <laughs> like for them, it's just them going. Let's just fucking do everything, including the fade out at the end. Because why the fuck not? I like that though. That like as, as I said, the problem with, with punk and it, this, the problem with their earlier career is that so much of it is based on box ticking. Whereas mm-hmm. when they get older and they start to be a bit more invested in the art, 
it, it's almost always more interesting. Yeah. Um, There's lots of good parts of the song. It's made up of so many distinct different parts. It just makes it so interesting to listen to. And I'm still finding new things in it every single time I hear it. listened to this record a lot of my life and I still whenever I go back to it I always go back to this song I mean I'd love to write something like this personally because it is just them playing at the peak of their ability and then the next record Party Crasher is, is more metally but they don't quite hit the same heights even though they're very much capable of it and they still they don't display quite the same amount of technical prowess on Party Crasher but they've still definitely got it in them because it's the same group of guys and a better guitar player but yeah fucking We Built This City is just I don't know, it's just so many good details. It's, everybody just goes for it, man. It's all about how shit work is as well, which I can get behind. <laughs> so, so, like, see if you're listening to this and, you know, you're someone that listens to whatever shape you put out. We we appreciate you. Thank you for doing that. I said, if someone's a fan of Bad Religion, uh-huh. you should give this a try. Mm-hmm. What other bands would you say, if you're a fan of such and such band, you should listen to this? Throw some other... Um, propaganda, obviously. If you like one scream, you'd fucking love a propaganda. Um, maybe elements in no effects, albeit no effects are way skatier and yeah, you know, no effects can do techie as well. They just don't do it very often, and it's never, it's not, it's always kind of shambolic because they're a fucking shambolic band. They, mm-hmm. they never play well. That's their whole shtick, I suppose. Um, if you've got time for fast punk rock uh, that's got you know more than a few minor chords and kind of avoids being too goofball I think these guys are worth mm-hmm. your time and I, I I would say from what I've heard yeah this does seem like the standout album Strung Out as well another band I met they mentioned earlier on I would, I would say them much the same are a really good skate punk band who've also went quite technical I'm from the UK you've got bands like Darko who are an incredible tech punk band um, The Human Project as well F- phenomenal band if you like a well scream you'll love those two bands they're both British and they're both doing really interesting stuff Atlas Losing Grip Belgian band pretty good too so yeah cool. there's a fair amount of stuff out there you could get your teeth into which is nothing none of them do anything as good as this record but they fucking some of them come damn maybe close maybe one man. day lads yeah. one day damn um, close yeah I mean I'm not gonna lie I'm not like a massive fan of this but it was good it was a lot better than I thought it would be and you know I'll I'll totally assent to yeah sure put it in why not yeah, and having given Ruiner a go, which was highly recommended to me at uni, and finding it just a bit too whiny, this is way more up my alley. Yeah, this is definitely not whiny. Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, I obviously say yes, so. Great. Go and vote. Yeah, go and vote. Uh, so, David, you're going to take a spin yeah, next week. gentlemen. Oh, yeah, we're going to do something very, very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to do a crossover dance and Scottish folk album fuck off aye no we way. fucking are no such thing exists it is uh, Grit by Martin Bennett I saw it described as Celtic fusion well I mean that sounds awful but Scottish folk doesn't yeah I know it's a difficult album to yeah, describe yeah, but the context you it, of this is interesting can you yeah so Martin Bennett was a influential uh, sort of pioneer in Scottish folk music and traditional music but he's took in a lot of modern influences and really revolutionised the the trad genre. But this album is also a very personal account of his uh, battles with uh, a a terminal illness. So it's uplifting, but also a very sad album. But uh, yeah, yeah. the the context makes it, uh, sadly, it makes it really quite Mm -hmm. uh, intriguing. 
know, yeah. via yeah. the medium of folk fusion. Or folk <laughs> Celtic fusion, guys. Um, okay, cool. Well, that was so fun. So that's your homework for next week, lads. Yep. Bye. Ah! <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha